You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, let's pray, everybody, and we'll get into the Word tonight. I'm ready for some Word. How about you? Yes. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for, again, this opportunity (laughs) to gather together in your name. And I thank you for what Jesus promised us, that when he said that where two or three are gathered together in his name, he would be right here in our midst. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are here, that you're present with me and you're present with my friends and family, Lord. And I believe, Father, the again, the same anointing that is present with me is present with them because it's the same Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank you and I praise you tonight for the written word of God we believe to receive tonight. We give permission for the Holy Spirit to teach us to bring us light and revelation. And Father, we will be changed because of it. We'll be better off because of it, Father. And we thank you for it. Lord, we believe you in advance and we thank you for everything that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Uh, I want to touch on two verses that we touched on last week. So if you want to go with me to Luke chapter 10, I want to look at verses 41 and 42, just as a point of review. Let me hit on some high points of some things that we've been talking about. And of course, this is uh, week number six in our lessons on tactics for winning. And we've been talking, uh, began last week and uh, talking this week about how to overcome worry. I believe worry is something that we all have dealt with and, and may still deal with. And, uh, you know, worry is one of those types of things that, um, I believe that you you can overcome it, but I believe the temptation will be there as long as we're living in this world. And so uh, it's good to know what the Word says and how we can overcome it. And so we began talking about it, and we said th- that we broke it down. We said that uh, for the born-again believer, the spirit of man, our born-again recreated spirit on the inside of us, is the place where God lives and dwells. He, that is where the Holy Spirit lives. When we get born again, when we receive Christ, he comes to live on the inside of us. And of course, uh, as we established, he is much smarter than any one of us. And so he has the answers to every situation that we could possibly face. He has the answers to any need that we could possibly have. And so he is down there on the inside of us. So a mistake that we make in living our lives and just navigating through life is we try and find the answers to situations that we're dealing with, looking outside, looking out here in the natural, instead of looking towards the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells on the inside of us. And so We said this, this is a basic definition of what worry is. Worry is the fruitless search for life's answers in our human intellect. And uh, of course, our our mind can know some things. If we've had some experiences, if 
you know, things that we've encountered and, and victories that we've had, uh, you know, we can refer back to, you know, what we learned during those times. But I'm going to say this to you. There is, um, I don't want to say a danger. That's not the right word. But I, I want us to always lean to and look to the Holy Spirit for our help, even if it's something that we've dealt with before. And we won't do it tonight, but there are some examples, especially in David's life, where he encountered uh, the same enemy, the Philistines, a couple of different times. And uh, they, they did the same thing each time they came and took from David and his men, stole their crops, stole their, their families and their livestock and so forth. And, um, you know, the first time David went to the Lord and he said, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? And, and the Lord told him to go up and to uh, recover everything that the, the Philistines had stolen and that God said, I'll give you the victory. And so David did his, he and his 300 men went down there and they, took care of business, got all their stuff back and everything. Well, the Philistines a short time later came back and did the same thing. Same identical problem, same circumstances, but David was wise enough to know, okay, even though this situation is the same, I, I might need to get God's wisdom and how to deal with it instead of reverting to a memory and uh, following a pattern, if you will, he went to the Lord and said, Lord, here, they've done it again. What? And of course, this is my paraphrasation. What do you want us to do? And uh, the Lord told him to do something different, gave him a different tactic, told him to go behind the enemy, that God would send a wind to rustle the leaves in the trees. And uh, it would sound to the enemy as though there was a large army marching in and it would frighten them and they would leave. And that's exactly what happened. But my point is this, even though David encountered the same enemy, same tactics that the enemy was using, he did not rely on his natural wisdom in order to overcome the enemy. So even though, you know, in an area of your life, you might have had a victory, let's say, you know, you've experienced a, a financial victory in your life where God really showed up and ministered and met a need. And, uh, you know, so again, life happens. And so you might encounter a different need. And so the wisdom is to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, okay, I have this same need. Do you want me to handle it like I did last time? Or do you want to uh, use a different strategy, a different tactic to address it this time and at least give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to be able to minister to you and give you some different direction because there might be some wisdom that you don't know and and something behind the scenes that you can't see that he knows about and the new tactic would be the better way to be able to handle it so long story short always go and rely on the holy spirit to minister to you and give you wisdom on how to handle a situation even if it is something that you've handled before and overcome before. In other words, don't fall into a default mode and uh, always go to him and ask for wisdom regarding that situation. So, you know, when we're searching for that answer in our human intellect, just going over and over and over the problem, that is where worry and anxiety comes from. And of course, we, we said that the basic fruit or root rather of worry is fear. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But 
Uh, we read the story about Mary and Martha and how Jesus came to their house and, uh, you know, was going to have dinner with them. And so it, it says in verse 40 of Luke chapter 10 that Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Because Mary had gone in and sat down on the floor and, uh, you know, was ready to hear what, what Jesus had to say. But Martha was busy. And I want us to pay attention in verse 41 to what Jesus actually told her. He said, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But this is a key, verse 42, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. What was the good part that Mary had chosen? She chose just like Caden did tonight, okay? And so here's, <laughs> here's number one, step number one in getting rid and overcoming worry is this. Apply yourself to hear the word of God. Make yourself available to the word of God. That's what Jesus himself said. That's what was needed for Martha. So Martha was encumbered. She was worried about many things, the Lord said. But one thing was needed, Jesus said, and that was what Martha, what Mary was doing, rather, and that was hearing the word of God. So if you want to conquer worry, the first place you're going to have to start is the Word of God. Now, I mentioned that the root of worry is fear, and the, the bottom line of worry is, especially for a believer, is, is this. Either you don't know God will help you, or number two, you really don't believe God will help you. And, you know, a lot of times we can ha say all the right answers, we can say all the right things, but deep down in here, the question is, do we really believe that the Lord will show up and take care of the need, the situation, whatever it is? And uh, so I tell you what, <clears throat> turn over in, uh, towards the end of the Bible the first to the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. I want to just hit on a quick point. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. So if the root of worry, bottom line, is fear then we're going to have to deal with this fear. See, fear is often imagining what will happen in your life if the Word of God doesn't work this time. It's where you begin to imagine what's going to take place. And, and you know, and, and our minds are, are very creative. We can imagine some, some big things. And so, really, we begin to build this image of what's going to happen and all that does is feed into that fear. But look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. John wrote and he said this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So let me let me say this, all right? I'm going to substitute a word and, and see if this helps it ring a bell. There is no worry in love, but perfect love casts out worry because worry involves torment. Boy, I can amen to that. But he who worries has not been made perfect in love. What, what's my point in this? When you really know and believe 
that God loves you and he loves you unconditionally. He paid a great price for you and that that love will never diminish nor fade away. When you believe that love, that love and that belief, faith in that love will drive out fear. It will eliminate fear from your life. So if if, if worry is rooted in fear, then what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get a revelation of God loves me. Now, here's the thing. We know us. We know what, what we did before we got saved. We might even, you know, we know obviously the things that we've done after we've been saved and so forth. And a lot of times we're, um, you know, ashamed and, and feel guilty about those things. Well, you're going to have to deal with that. That's why Paul said there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You're going to have to believe that God loves you in spite of those things that, uh, you know, he may not always be pleased with our actions, but he definitely loves us, loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross. And when you get a revelation of that love and how much he loves you, then you're building faith in the fact that God is not going to let me go under. He loves me too much to let me to to let that need not be addressed. He loves me too much not to minister to me and, and do everything he possibly can in order to take care of me and to meet that need or whatever the situation is. So to deal with the fear, you're going to have to start with getting a revelation and building your faith in the love of God and how much God loves you. All right, here's the second thing we said last week, and that is this. You know, you're going to pray about those things that you're tempted to worry about. Now, here's something that we often fall into, and that is this. You know, I'll let God handle the big stuff, but I'll handle the small stuff. You know, I don't want to bother him with small stuff. Well, you know, Jesus was very... Uh, detailed when he said that, and we read this early on, that God is aware when birds have needs. He's aware uh, of flowers needing adornment. And if he's aware of those seemingly insignificant things, then he's aware and wants to move in the small things in your life, just like he does in the big things. You know, you, you know things like, well, you know, I believe Jesus uh, is my healer, and uh, you know, but I, I'll let God handle the cancer situations, and and I'll just suffer through this headache. No, let let the power of God show up and minister to you with the headache, because the same Lord that died for the cancer died for the headache, and uh, so you know, just just keep that in mind. Number three, we said this last week that a life of thanksgiving and praise will defend against worry. You know, one of the greatest things that you can do to combat worry is continually have praise and worship in your mouth. Psalm 34, 1, David wrote, and he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And a lot of times worry happens because we have extended periods of time that we're left to think. You know, what's the old saying that people uh, you know, have used, an idle mind is the devil's playground? Uh, 
you know, the, it really is a true statement. And if you are faced with a situation and you're, you know, tempted to worry, then do everything you can to keep praise and worship before you and in your mouth and, uh, you know, keep it going all the time. Okay. So that you are, uh, have that. Something's making some noise. There we go. Okay. So keep your mouth filled with praise and worship. Now, number four, here we go. Number four, remind yourself that Jesus is your shepherd. Let's go back and, and I know you know this, but let's look at the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23, back in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, and uh, let's look at it, Psalm 23, and I know if you've been to a funeral, you've probably heard this psalm if you have it in church, okay? But the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so these six verses are so poignant and powerful in what they tell us. <coughs> Excuse me. There are four things that I'm just going to give you real quick that a shepherd provides for the sheep. Now, these four things are applicable where Jesus is concerned as our shepherd. He said himself, I am the good shepherd. And so these four things are what he has promised to provide for you. Number one, guidance. He will lead and guide you. You know, sheep are very dependent on their shepherd to lead and guide them. They're very skittish animals, very jumpy. And uh, the shepherd, once they build that relationship with the shepherd, they look to the shepherd to always lead them in safe places. So, so the shepherd provides guidance. The second thing, he provides food for them, you know, daily sustenance, daily. That's what the Lord prayed in Matthew chapter six and what we call the Lord's prayer. Give us this day, our daily bread. Number three, he provides comfort. The shepherd provides comfort for the sheep. And of course, Jesus promised us in John, the 14th chapter, that the Holy Spirit would be our comforter. He provides comfort for us. Now, you know, and I know there's some Christians that don't believe that God wants us to have a comfortable life. If that's the case, then why did he send the comforter into the earth to minister to us? He sent the comforter to minister to us to make us more comfortable. Now, I'm not saying life will always be easy, but if we'll look to the Holy Spirit, that he will uh, provide comfort for us. And then lastly, number four, 
He provides protection. So he provides guidance. He provides food. He provides comfort. And the shepherd provides protection for the sheep. And Jesus has promised that he would do all of those things for us. Now here, let's go to the next one. Go over with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, please. 1 Peter chapter 5. And let's look at uh, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Now I'm going to say something that's going to be a little tough, but you can handle it. It's the truth nonetheless. But here's point number five, okay? Walking in humility will defeat worry and fear. Walking in humility will defeat worry and fear. Let me say it to you one more time. Walking in humility will defeat worry and fear. So let me read these two verses to you, and then uh, I'll make the point. Verse 6 in Hebrews chapter, I mean, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, Therefore, well, let's, let's, uh, let's back up to verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So casting your cares. So humility is casting your cares over on the Lord. The word cares there, if you look at it in the, the Greek and the Amplified Bible actually spells it out. It says your worries, your concerns, your anxieties, he instructs us to cast those things over onto the Lord. So here's my point. Worry is a manifestation of pride. Worry is a manifestation of pride because when we worry, what we're trying to do is be our own God and solve our own problems. Worry is a manifestation of pride because what we're doing is we're actually uh, trying to be our own God and solve our own problems. The Good News Bible of 1 Peter 5, 7 says, leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. Psalm, just make a note of this verse, Psalm 55 and verse 22 says this, cast your burden on the Lord, releasing the weight of it, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the consistently righteous to be moved, made to slip, fall, or fail. And, and when he says, cast your cares, in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, it's, it means to throw them. Uh, the picture, actually, and I read this, and I thought it was really good. What would you do if you were working outside one day, and you reached down, and you were moving a rock or something, and you accidentally picked up a snake? Are you going to sit there and hang on to it? Uh, you know, you're going to just start cuddling it and... And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I, that thing's gonna get as far away from me as it possibly can, and the right way it's gonna do it is it's gonna go for a quick flight. Uh, 
I'm going to throw that thing as far from me as, it, as I possibly can. Well, that's actually the picture that's painted in the Greek language when it says, cast your cares, throw them as far away from you as you possibly can, as if that was a snake you had picked up and you realize what you're doing, cast that thing away from you. Okay, get it away from you. Well, the same thing is true with your cares and your worries. Cast them over on the Lord. Uh, can I say this to you? God can handle your worries. He can handle your cares. He doesn't want you trying to handle your cares and your worries, okay? All right, now, go with me to Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel, the 24th chapter. And I want us to look at another reason for worry, something else that causes worry and uh, that we can address, okay? Another reason for worry, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, okay? Luke 24, verses 1 through 4. Very familiar portion of Scripture. It says, now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women. So this is Mary Magdalene and uh, Salome, the mother of James and John, uh, went very early in the morning. They and certain other women went with them, came to the tomb where Jesus was laid, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So the, the Sabbath is over. The Sabbath is from 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. or in the evening on Saturday. So what they have done is they've waited very, very early on Sunday morning. The Sabbath is over. So now they can go and prepare Jesus' body for burial. And so they bring the spices and everything that they had gathered and prepared. Verse 2, it says, But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in and did not, then they went in, rather, and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. As it happened, as they were, and I want you to pay particular attention to this, pay attention to the details. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, um, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and, and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 6, he is not here, but is risen. And then he said, remember how he spoke to you. So these ladies go in to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. And uh, so they, they go in and immediately they don't find the body of the Lord. It's not there where they had seen it laid the 24 hours earlier, the Friday afternoon, Friday evening, and it says that they were greatly perplexed about this. So another word for perplexed could be worried or anxious. They were, they were really upset about this and, and, you know, were agitated trying to figure out what was going on. Okay. Now make a note of this, please write this down. Worry is a direct result of believing the wrong thing. Worry is a direct result of believing the wrong thing. Now, I want you to, to picture something with me, and I'm not picking on these women. I mean, 
but they were there watching when Jesus was crucified. They were there and saw the nails driven into his hands and his feet. They saw his bloodied, beaten, mutilated body and, and saw it on the cross for the hours that he was crucified. They saw his body taken down off the cross. They saw his body carried by some of the disciples into Joseph of Arimathea's grave, his tomb that had already been prepared. They saw all of this. They saw the body placed in the tomb. And then they had to go home and stew on that for a day before they could come back to the tomb. So I want you, you know, to picture all of this that they'd seen. So all day Friday, they saw what happened to the Lord. They saw what happened to him physically. They saw him get crucified. They saw him die. They heard him breathe his last. They saw his body taken down. They saw it taken and put into the tomb. And then they were left to those thoughts and the imagination of all of that for a full 24 hours after it happened. So in their minds, they were expecting to come back and see what they had seen before. I mean, naturally speaking, I think most of us would. Okay. Now I want us to see what happened again. Verse five or, or verse four, it says they looked and two, two men stood by them in shining garments. Verse five, uh, then as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth. They said to them, the angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in, in Galilee saying, now listen to this. He told them, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and the third day rise again. Now, I want you, you know, sometime get your concordance out or look online, whatever you choose to do, and look through the gospels and find the times that Jesus told the disciples exactly what was going to happen, exactly how things were going to play out, exactly how uh, that he was going to be arrested, everything. He told them everything. Matter of fact, if you'll remember when they were going back to uh, towards Jerusalem and to, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, you remember Thomas made a wisecrack. He said, so we're all going to go down to Jerusalem and end up dying, okay? Because Jesus had told them time and time again what was going to happen. He was going to go down to Jerusalem. They were going to curse him. They were going to mock him. They were going to spit on him. They would crucify him. And but, but he always ended it, but on the third day, I will rise again, okay? And then in verse 8, and they, now keep in mind, this is just the women. These aren't the 12 disciples. These are just the women. So if the women heard him say that, then surely all the disciples heard him say it. So again, and they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. 
Okay. Um, now make a note of Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. This is one of the examples of Jesus spelling out exactly what was going to transpire. Okay. But again, he said, and the third day he will rise again. Okay. But they didn't, the disciples didn't understand any of these things and so forth. So they went on. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. And, and, I, and, and as I always say, and there's a reason I hammer on this, pay attention to the details, okay? So think about this with me. Do you remember after Jesus was crucified and he was buried and put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, the religious leaders went to Pilate and said, we need guards assigned to the tomb so that the disciples won't come and steal his body and spread the rumor that he was raised from the dead as he said it would happen. So I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. The religious leaders and the secular people believed what Jesus had said repeatedly more so than the disciples believed it. In other words, they, the religious leaders and the people around Jesus' ministry had heard him talking about he was going to Jerusalem, he was going to be crucified, but he would be raised from the dead on the third day that the religious leaders took precautions to try and stop it from happening. But I want to ask you a question. How many of the disciples were waiting at the tomb on Sunday morning for Jesus to walk out of the grave? How many? Zero. None of them were waiting because they believed that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. Instead, when they go to the tomb and they find his body missing, they get all upset, they get all anxious and worried. Okay, Why is that? When you forget the word that you've heard and you don't do it, you fall into misbelief and you believe the wrong things. I'm going to say that again. Even though they had heard it several times, they forgot about it or they really didn't believe it in their hearts. And when that happened, they fell into misbelief and they began to believe the wrong things. What was it that they believed? That Jesus died and was still dead. Okay. What happened? What, because they were believing the wrong thing. What happened? It caused anxiety. It caused worry. It caused the women to be all fretful when they got to the grave and the, they didn't find the body of the Lord. Okay. So nobody, none of his disciples were waiting at the tomb on Sunday morning for him to come walking out. Man, wouldn't that have been awesome to read that in the scriptures, how, you know, the the, the 11 disciples, of course, Judas had already uh, hung himself, but the 11 disciples, because they believed what Jesus had said, were all sitting there at the tomb after the Sabbath ended, waiting for him to walk out. But not one of them was, because none of them believed what he had said. All right, and I'm not being hard on the disciples, because you and I do the same thing. The word of God makes so many awesome promises to us, but do we really 
believe those things in our hearts and believe that what God has said is going to come to pass in our lives. So there in uh, Luke 24, jump down to verse 9. And they returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the disciples. And their words, listen to this, their words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So even when the ladies got back and said, hey, guys, we went to the tomb of Jesus, and and you won't believe what happened. We walked in. And there were two angels standing there. And they said to us, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is alive. Well, they didn't any more believe the angels than they did Jesus himself. Okay, so, uh, but Peter, thank God for Peter, he arose and ran to the tomb, stooping down, and he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. So here they were. They didn't believe that Jesus, what Jesus had repeatedly told them, was going to happen. And because they didn't believe it and they forgot it, it caused them tremendous anxiety. You know, I'm not going to say that it, watching all that happen to Jesus would not have bothered them. But can you imagine what would have been the attitude of, of, of a disciple that was really in faith, even when they were standing there at the cross? saying something like, I mean, you know, I'm not minimizing what happened and what it looked like visually, but to be able to say, you know, this is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But I remember what he said. This is only temporary that in less than two days from now, he's going to get up and he's going to be alive again. You Can you imagine that? Somebody says, well, you know, that's just unreasonable. No, that, that's really what faith is all about is believing that what God's word says is true and that God will do what he said he would do. And the fact of the matter is, or the question that we all have to ask ourselves is this, do I really believe it? And, you know, if, if you're honest and you say, well, no, well, then get to believing, <laughs> you know, Get it down on the inside of you. Let's go and look at another example. Luke chapter 24, the same chapter. And, and I love this particular story. So again, same day, uh, verse 13, it says, two of the disciples, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So if you were to look at a, a map, in, perhaps in the back of your Bible, Emmaus is a village that's about five miles outside of Jerusalem. So these two disciples have witnessed everything that happened in Jerusalem. They saw everything that had happened with the crucifixion and so forth. And, and now they're, they, they're walking home. They, they, you know, had just decided it was over and they were walking home. And it says in verse 15, so it was while they conversed and reasoned. Notice it, they conversed and reasoned. They're trying to figure out all of this that happened in their heads. Okay. That Jesus himself drew near 
and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? You know, when you believe the promise that on the third day I'm going to be raised from the dead, why are you sad? Well, they're sad because they didn't believe it. All right. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Listen to that. In their thinking, he was no longer Jesus the Christ. He was now just a prophet because they had witnessed him dying. They saw him die, and the Messiah wouldn't die, okay? So in their minds, they've already lowered him to the level of a prophet. In other words, he's just a man who spoke on behalf of God. And uh, it says in verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was going, that he was, he, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, talking about Peter and John, and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he, Jesus, now remember, Jesus is walking with them. He's hearing this story. He's listening to this and knows that they're talking about him. And so he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now, in verse 25, he's not calling them fools per se. What he's saying is, you have been fooled. Okay, in other words, listen to me carefully. They were believing what their eyes and ears and their natural senses told them instead of believing what Jesus had told them. Okay, so... They were fooled by their, their senses and didn't believe. Now, look at what happened in verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I want you to remember Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want you to remember, what did the angels tell the women? Remember what he said to you. And notice what Jesus is doing for these two disciples. He began in the, the first books of the Bible and went all the way through the prophets and expounded to them all the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus had to bring them out of this worried, anxious state, and the way that he did it was by ministering the word to them to build faith in their hearts. 
All right. And it says, then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that they would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him and then he vanished from their sight. Now I want you to say, look at what verse 32 says. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked on the with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? What is that that they're trying to describe? That their fear got eliminated and faith began to arise in their hearts as Jesus taught them what the word said. All right, now, little side tidbit that I think is really cool. Notice how Jesus revealed himself to them. The Bible says that he, they sat down to eat. Now they still, their eyes are, are constrained, the Bible says, by the power of God. They can't see that it's Jesus. And uh, so they sit down, they're getting ready to eat the meal. Jesus takes the bread, he breaks the bread, lifts it up to heaven and blesses it and then takes it and hands it to them. When he hands it to them, guess what they're able to now see? The prince in his hands. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they realized that they had been walking and conversing with the Lord the whole time. And of course, Jesus vanished. But the thing that I want you to see is what God did in ministering to the women to bring them out of that worried and anxious state and to these disciples on the Emmaus Road, what Jesus did to bring them out of that, that worried, fretful, sad state was to minister the word of God to them, to build faith in their heart, and to bring them to a place <coughs> where they could believe what Jesus had promised and said what would happen. Now, I want to say this to you. Notice that Jesus did not start out the conversation by revealing his hands to them. You, you know, think about that. Why didn't he just appear to them on the road as they're walking and said, hey, fellas, how you doing? It, you know, it's me. I'm, I'm the one. And then look, see, see the nail print? See the nail print? You want to take your hand and thrust it in the wound in my side? Okay, notice he didn't do that. Now, what you're going to find with the Lord and the way that he deals with us is that Jesus did manifest himself to them, but it happened after they heard the word. It's very important because he didn't want their faith to be in what they saw. He wanted their faith to be in his word. So after faith arose in their hearts from hearing the word of God, then he could manifest himself to them. What I want you to see is, is before you ever receive a manifestation from God, you must first receive and believe what he said. You must first believe and receive what he has said to us in his word. 
So he convinced them, and this is so important, he convinced them with the word, not the manifestation. You know, what, what comes to mind is you remember in Romans chapter 4, where it says that Abram became convinced that he was the father of a multitude. What did he become, or how did he become convinced? Well, what we know is that he convinced himself, but how did he convince himself? He convinced himself based on what God had already declared to him would happen, okay? Notice, my point is this. It is not faith if Abram had waited around till Isaac was born and then he believed. He had to believe the promise first before Isaac could ever show up. And so with us, the same thing is true. Whatever you need from him, you must believe what he has said in his word before the manifestation shows up. If you will do that, then the manifestation will show up. I hope that makes sense to you because that's what faith is. All right. So just to summarize, worry is a direct result of wrong belief. We believe the wrong things because of wrong thinking. Notice the disciples. They were reasoning in themselves. They were trying to figure stuff out. They didn't believe what Jesus has said. And so they had wrong thinking because they had received the wrong information. Now, and, and again, I'm not picking on the disciples because we're all guilty of this, but what would have happened if while they, they witnessed Jesus' body being taken down off the cross and how horrible his body must have looked? And when they wrapped it up in the linen cloths and they put it in the tomb temporarily, I mean, can you imagine if they had been standing there saying, well, you know, this is only temporary. This is only for a little while because he's going to get up on the third day. That's what he told us over and over and over again. And see, if they, they now, of course, the plan of God was going to happen whether they believed it or not. But the thing is that it would have done them a whole lot better if they had believed it before the manifestation. But what they did is they based what they believed off what they could see. And this is where, where a lot of us fail. We base what we believe off of what we see, what we hear, and, and, and what is told to us, all of those types of things. In other words, we've been receiving the wrong information. So what we have to do is we've got to go to God's information and base what we believe on God's information. So whatever the situation is that we're, we're dealing with and that we're tempted to worry about, we're going to have to get God's information. What does God say about the situation? What does God say the outcome is going to be? And that's what we need to base our faith on. Amen? Well, praise God. The preacher got through five minutes early. Can you believe that? It's a miracle, y'all. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, 
please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.